as Nick had said, we're back into the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at one of the the most famous, the most well-known stories from Luke's account of the life of Jesus, the the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and and all this stuff. And as Nick read the passage out this morning, you you would have encountered some iconic uh, characters from from the Christmas story, uh, from all the nativity scenes that we normally have around Christmas. There's the angels and the the shepherds, there's Mary and Joseph, there's the baby uh, in the manger and, and all of that stuff. And maybe you uh, know these things, maybe you're familiar with these characters and this scenery because you're familiar with Scripture, you're familiar with the Bible, or, or maybe you know them, you're familiar with them because they appear on Christmas cards uh, that you get around Christmas. Uh, they appear in nativity scenes in the supermarket uh, setting each year or, or wherever they pop up. The reason why uh, they appear in both, why they appear in Scripture and why they appear in culture is because they all actually uh, took part in the historic event of the birth of Jesus, who the angel in this story claims uh, in, in, a, in a unique phrase. It's the only place in the, in the Bible where this actual phrase, these three words are joined together, where it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a saviour who is uh, Christ and Lord. Uh, it's it's incredible little sentence. It's the sixth time that this child Jesus has been referenced in relationship to uh, David and the city. And the angel says born, that this child, the saviour, is at his birth, uh, Christ and Lord. It's a, it's a sentence that is loaded uh, with significance. This, this word saviour that is used uh, by the angel there, uh, held in context at the time, uh, means to them someone who would rescue, someone who would deliver people from death and destruction, from imminent peril. Uh, it, it was a word that was attached to the saving work of God in the history of Israel. And, and it kind of implies that we need a saviour. And this child is that saviour. This child who was born down there in the city of Bethlehem is Christ, and it's a Greek word uh, which meant Messiah. And it's a title that was attached to this mysterious figure of promise that kept emerging and coming into greater clarity as the New Testament rolled along, a figure of promise that was attached to David's throne as a king of a ruler who would come, whose rule would know no end, who would bring peace and justice uh, to people. And also we find in this phrase here that the angel uses about this child born down there in Bethlehem that he is Lord, Lord at his birth. Luke has used this title Lord over a dozen times already and we're only like just into chapter 2. And every time this title Lord is used, it's, it's, it's with reference to Lord as God. Now what we hear is this child born down there in the city of Bethlehem is Lord in the manger is God, divine, sovereign ruler of all things and of all lives. It's an extraordinary little sentence, incredible. Uh, Not a bad birth notice, you might say. Most of us just get, uh, you know, the gender, the weight, maybe mum and dad are doing all right, dad's probably all messed up, but that's normally what happens. This child Jesus is not merely uh, different or unique, though. His birth notice lets us know that he is God in the flesh. 
He is the promise of God to heal humanity. And the thing about this claim is it's not subjective. It's, it's not up for interpretation. It's not Mary's take on things. It's not the shepherd's take on things. It's not even what Luke thought. It's God's announcement. It's what God has said about this child. The angel brings the word of God to these shepherds in relationship to this child. These shepherds heard all about who this child was long before uh, Wesley was able to put it in a hymn in that Christmas carol. Words like, hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king with angelic hosts proclaim Christ, the promised, the promised ruler is born in Bethlehem. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. This little baby is divine, clothed in flesh. These shepherds are the first people to hear the good news, as the angel calls it. This sentence of Savior, of Christ and Lord is good news. Uh, we now call it the gospel because it was a word that was used around at the time um, for good news, for the heralding of good news. Good news of a victory in battle, uh, an emperor had, had won a battle and brought peace to the land. Gospel, good news. Uh, in the city of promise, down there in Bethlehem, this child of promise, Jesus, who is Christ and Lord, God in the flesh, has come to us. And the good news is that he has not come in judgment but he has come in grace, come to save people uh, from the relational chaos and destruction that sin has uh, given life to, that we are all enslaved to. Why, why start with shepherds? Why are shepherds the first people to, to hear this announcement? Why not make this announcement where it's going to go viral, where it's going to trend instantly? I mean, there's a census on. There's, there's mass population density in cities like Jerusalem. Why not unleash this heavenly spectacle in a town like that and just, and just watch it trend on, on social media? Well, the boring answer is that, that historically that's just what happened. They just happened to be there when creation, the shepherds were just there when creation, uh, the heavenly hosts went public with the arrival into our world of our Savior and King, their Savior, King Creator. The place of his birth might have been obscure, might have been insignificant in this little town, but his significance deserved a royal welcome one that wasn't afforded by the inhabitants of these cities, but now is proclaimed out on the hillside, out on the, the hills of Bethlehem. And theologically, relationally, if you like, because shepherds uh, vividly represent uh, the common, the lowly and the marginalized who God takes a special interest in. There is a lot of conversation about just how despised, just how marginalized, just how jacked up and kind of crazy shepherds are as a class of people. One thing is for sure, they are blue-collar workers. And as blue-collar workers, they have just as much capacity to think deeply, to, 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 to have serious conversations about the rigors of life, about, about the real, ultimate realities, about faith. I spent a lot of time uh, with a gang of bricklayers, and bricklayers make shepherds uh, look like choir boys. But you, you, I'm telling you, you would be surprised at the level of intimacy 
in conversations around politics, around marriage, relationships, sport, religion, uh, you know, deep questions all the time, always being wrestled with and thought with, and the shepherds represent that, that kind of capacity in humanity. These are people with questions about life that God will not ignore, but will come to personally, people like you and I. The shepherd's place in the story provide for us uh, historic evidence of the inclusive scope of the gospel. It's for all people. Uh, as the angel had said in verse 10, um, you know, th- th- this is good news for all the people, which is, a, which is a phrase that begins with the Jewish people, but then it expands out uh, eventually into all people, uh, becomes a universal good news. No one is excluded from this news. It won't be a secret that just remains contained to the Jews uh, or to a privileged uh, group of people, but it's for all people. And it's starting with you shepherds. And here we learn that this news is not just a generalized blanket news, but it comes to each heart personally, intimately. The angel says to the shepherds, I bring you, you personally, good news. For you, you personally, a child is born. For you, there will be a sign. You will find This news that Jesus, born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph, uh, this news that you will find him sleeping in an animal's feeding trough, uh, that is the news that he is your personal Savior, your personal Lord, God's personal promise of grace to you, to you as a person, as an individual. And because that is the case, you and you alone, are responsible for how you respond. You and you alone will one day uh, answer the question, what did you do with the news about the child in the manger? What did you do with the news about the child that was born in poverty and obscurity for the one whom there was no room for and yet was a child who was also uh, cloaked in humility but veiled in flesh, but was also this divine Lord of all creation who had come to be your Savior just for you. And just as that was true for the shepherd, how this was a personal address to them, this news is also a personal address to us. It is as true for the shepherds back then as for you and I now. God is not socially distanced. He breaks into our worlds, not just generically, but personally, into our lives. He comes near to us in this child, in the person of Jesus. And everything about his birth communicates that he is approachable. Everything about his birth communicates that he had come to identify with every class of person. There is not one single person who is excluded uh, from this good news, who is excluded from approaching this Savior, this Lord. The shepherds tell us that the common people can come. That's Luke's record. If we were to skip over into Matthew's record of this, we would see how the, the you know, scientists at the top of their academic field come and approach Jesus. The learned, the blue-collar worker, all access the shepherds would not find when they come when they approach and even with the magi would not find a child 
couched in royal splendor, hidden behind layers and levels of, of security and guards and, and might, as they kind of may have expected, as you'd expect with any royal birth. But they would find him lying in poverty, vulnerable but approachable. God has humbled himself to come to us. It's an extraordinary claim of Christianity that at the center of our faith, at the center of our beliefs, is the humiliation of our God. What the manger establishes, what the manger sets in place for life and the ministry of Jesus, of humility, of of service, is that God has come to serve us is that God has come to give himself across all lines. And where it started in the manger, it will finish at the cross. The angel is doing more than telling the shepherds, you know, just what has happened down there in the city of Bethlehem. He is telling them why it matters. They, the shepherds, you need a savior, you personally. You need personal saving grace. This is why it matters. There are things about you that God has come to heal. And Luke has taken us from the hustle and the bustle of Bethlehem, so preoccupied with uh, affairs of state, it's completely missed what's taking place uh, here in this manger, the arrival of its promised Savior and Lord, and he moves us out to this scene in the cool air with the shepherds. The arrival of God humble and unwelcomed, unnoticed as it may be, will not go by without significance. The significance, his significance being announced. Glory to God in the highest. And as angels burst onto the scene and heaven addresses earth about the arrival of its Lord and its Savior, we can see uh, how the significance of this Savior and this Lord uh, intersects our lives uh, from this passage in about in, in kind of three different areas, and we're just going to have a, a look at them now. The first area where, where, where this is good news to us, where it intersects our lives, is that the good news attached to Jesus is that it ends fear. As these shepherds are sitting out in the cool of the night, and they're probably discussing uh, Roman taxation policy, you know, the lights of the city of Bethlehem below them disappear. They're extinguished by the brilliance on the radiant glory of an angel of the Lord. Luke says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, this is not fear of taxes. This is not fear of losing their job. This is not fear that a bear is going to come out of the the hills and eat their sheep. It is fear of the presence of God. The glory of God is majestic and terrifying, wonderful and, and, and unsettling. On the very rare occasion that it goes on public display, these these rare occasions throughout history where God's glory goes on display, it exposes that there is a base note of fear in the heart of people toward God. You know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when a holy God meets sinful people, rebellious people? What's going to happen when they, when they share the same space? The prophet Isaiah captures the, this, uh, this intense spiritual inadequacy, uh, this, this mismatch, if you like, that drives the great fear. Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst uh, a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen 
uh, the king, the Lord of hosts, the presence, the glory of God. He's in it, and he thinks he's about to die. That's what happens. I don't know. You ever had an angel turn up? It's, it's a terrifying experience. The Bible is clear that the origin of this fear is not from God, though. He created us in loving freedom to enjoy his presence, to, to have peace in his presence, fullness of joy. It was our foolishness, our rebellion uh, that rejected this relationship, this loving rule and reign, this, this secure peace. We traded it in for self-rule, for self-lordship. We sought and still seek to be God rather than to live with God. That's the whole issue of humanity. That's what sin is. We are God imposters, glory thieves. We have craved a job that we are horribly unqualified for. To be our own masters, to be the rulers of our own destiny, de-godding God and installing in his place an imposter, a pretender. And we know we're pretenders and we know we're imposters and we know we're not qualified. And that's what drives the fear. It's like if you're impersonating a police officer and an actual police officer actually turns up and, and you begin to feel terrible insecurity around what you think you're doing. It's, it's the same. Sin, this, this um, impersonation that feeds into our life has corrupted our perception of God. Now rather than a friend to walk with, he is an enemy to hide from. Trust has been replaced with fear. And peace has been replaced with turmoil, fear and turmoil, that any action from God towards us will be to deal with our, uh, our treacherous behavior, our, our, our glory robbing, our, our impersonations, our stealing of his authority over our lives in ways that may destroy us, in ways that we actually deserve for our actions. The angel addresses this base note of fear and says, fear not. Why? Because I bring good news of great joy for all the people. This child, this arrival of God is a savior, not a judge, is grace, not wrath, is fulfilled promise, not abandonment. The good news attached to Jesus is that God has moved towards us in grace, approachable, knowable. And the gift of that first Christmas uh, to deal with all the fear that sin produces had a little tag on it that said, for you. Jesus will bring an end to the base note of fear that the human heart has produced toward God as it participates in this sinful rebellion of impersonating its God and, has, and will replace that with fellowship. The second uh, good news attached to Jesus, uh, who at his birth is the promised Savior and eternal Lord, is that this Jesus makes peace. Now, if the kind of peace uh, that the angel meant was, was world peace, then Jesus is a horrendous failure. There are currently more than 40 conflicts uh, on this globe, in this planet, affecting over 2 billion people on here on planet earth this is this is not a planet of peace this is a planet of warfare peace on earth that the angels spoke about is not the peace wished for in response to a miss universe uh question it's the lost peace of the human heart with god it's the end of 
the warfare that exists between the human heart and God. It's, it's relational peace with God. You might say to yourself, I'm not at war with God. That's kind of a bit harsh there, Mason. I might be a little indifferent. I might be a little dispassionate towards God, perhaps even kind of nominal towards God. But I, I wouldn't say I'm willfully opposed to God. I'm not, at, I'm not at war with him. However, the Bible is very clear. You either reconciled to God or you're at war with God. And that war is over who's in charge. God as our creator, as our good and loving God, or us as glory thieves, as rebels against his rule. But now because the obstacle of fear has been dealt with, is gone, terms of peace can be established. Peace with God is mediated in our hearts through Jesus. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my rule. Now take my reign. Stop laboring in your own efforts, in your, in your own self-sufficiency, and come and find your identity in me. Come and learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly of heart. Now you can approach me. You'll find me in a manger, and you will find there rest for your souls. Peace. The shepherds are the first to hear that peace can fill our hearts, that peace can be our reality, peace in the relationship between ourselves and God. And here's the thing. Until we have peace with God in our soul, we can not have true peace with each other because we are constantly aware of the judgments uh, that our actions deserve and, and they make us radically insecure. The good news first announced to the shepherds of the end of fear and the beginning of peace is for all to hear, is for all to approach. But it rests, it takes effect on those who respond by seeing Jesus as their saviour, as God's promised restorer, as seeing Jesus as their new rightful ruler, their Lord. It's great joy and deep heart satisfaction for those who hear this good news and humbly respond to it in trust and faith that God has spoken truthfully, clearly in Jesus about what's going on here. And the question is, do you hear it? Uh, have you been listening to it? The angel says that this piece is specific. It's not universal. It transforms the souls of those whom God's favor rests, those who have responded to this good news and allow it to transform their hearts. Which brings us to the last point, the last consideration of this good news attached to Jesus uh, and his birth, and that is, how is this good news heard, or how do you hear this good news uh, Tim Keller makes this wonderful observation about how we get to hear this good news. Most of us want to hear it uh, the same way that the shepherds heard it. Um, you know, accompanying great spectacles, uh, light shows, angels, some kind of undeniable display of God's reality. What we, we want what the shepherds got. I remember sitting in a car park at, at the front of Wodonga District Baptist Church one day having a chat to a mate of mine and he was like, if God would just do something miraculous, then, then I know I could trust him. Then I could know his ultimate reality. But the reality of it is, is that most of us get shepherds. The shepherds got the angel, but the rest of us get 
shepherds. Just common people, common means through which we hear the gospel, the, the good news. It's the same throughout the whole Bible. Isaiah, Isaiah got the, the, the throne room of God, incredible things. But the people of Israel got Isaiah, just a common dude. This is how the, the, the Christian message, the Christmas message, the good news that's attached to Jesus comes to most of us. Some of us will hear it in a sermon like today. Perhaps uh, it comes to us through a, a shepherdly type friend, just a boring, common old friend. Nothing too impressive about them. Apart from the security, the peace, and the lack of fear in their soul. By and large, this good news is found in the Bible. It's a book. You've got to read it. And it's hard to understand in places. It's it's common experience of, of how we get it. Most of us hear the good news about Jesus in very ordinary ways. And it would be easy to not hear it. To not sit and listen. To not think it's spectacular enough to grab your attention. That's how the crowds heard it. When the shepherds came and they made known what had been told to them about this baby lying in a manger... The, sh- the crowds wondered, Luke says. And what that means is they found it interesting. They even found it extraordinary. What, a, what an amazing story. But it made no change in their heart. It did not change their behavior. It did not change their relationship with God. There was no heart transformation. They just wondered about this story. They wondered, they marveled, but they never really heard what was being said to the extent that it changed their lives significantly. It's a nice story, sounds wonderful, angels and the like. But did, they, but did they listen to the story that Jesus means the end of fear, the beginning of peace? They didn't. They remained unchanged, indifferent to the good news. There's another person in this story who's hearing this news from the shepherds, and it's Mary who, by the way, has already had an angel address her. She's already had the spectacle. She could say to the shepherds, I don't, I don't roll with shepherds, I do angels. But she doesn't dismiss the common, the ordinary, uh, like it's not qualified enough, not impressive enough for her to listen to. When she hears for the first time this phrase that her child is, is a saviour who is Christ and Lord, she listens And Luke tells us that she pondered and she treasured. Both words that speak of deep heart transformation, of continued understanding. To ponder is to think through, to put into context. How does this new information fit with everything I know? How does this affect ultimate reality? It's intellectual work. To treasure means to keep alive, to preserve in memory. Uh, It's to do with the emotions. It's to do with the heart. This is the process of thinking, uh, you know, of taking what is pondered, thinking in the head, uh, thinking it through, examining it intellectually, and then dropping it down into your heart so that it shapes the way you live, so that it changes who you are. It means everything to you. This is Mary's response to the news attached to Jesus to hearing from the ordinary that her child is going to bring an end to fear and the beginning of peace. Mary, for Luke, is a model of how we should hear this message attached to Jesus, of how we should listen to this gospel of Luke. Luke wants us to hear what Mary heard, that the news attached to Jesus can turn our whole world upside down. 
to ponder and to treasure, not merely to just marvel at the novelty of it, but to consider it, to contextualize it. What does it mean for me to fan into flame, to secure in our heart the message, the good news found in Jesus? It means the end of fear, and it means the coming of peace. And that's what Luke is putting before us this morning. That's the question that we present to you this morning. Have you, have you pondered? Have, have you treasured? Have you done the, the intellectual rigor and hard work and had your heart transformed by this good news? The end of fear and the, the coming of peace found in this child, found in a manger. Let's pray. A loving God, we thank you uh, for your good news. It's so accessible. It comes to us through common means. And we don't need to uh, reach any academic levels or be in any particular social class. You're a God who is interested in all people across all levels. And you have made your uh, gospel, your saving grace known to us at a very common, very basic level that we can all hear and take on board. And we pray that we wouldn't just ignore this as being too common, but that we would see it for the spectacular work of God to come and make himself known to us, that we can know peace in our hearts as our souls are, are reconnected to you through what Jesus has done on our behalf. And as this gospel unfolds, we see that it's, a, it's not merely his birth, but it's all that he does with his life, all uh, that takes place on the cross and all that we are uh, brought into with his new life and the community that comes and is established out of that. Uh, we thank you for that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.